0: Welcome back to Parkside Green's Bible Study. Pastor Steve here, Uh, just excited to continue with our study of the Gospel of Luke. Last week, you remember we noted that we all have special birth stories, don't we? But they are nothing like Jesus's birth story. And in a similar way, we all have highlights of our childhood, but they're nothing like Jesus's childhood and the highlights from that. You know, when I was just a few months old, I was dropped on my head and I suffered a hairline fracture in my skull. And I know you're thinking, that maybe explains a few things about how you have a few marbles loose, uh, Pastor Steve. And maybe it explains uh, why when I learned to crawl, I I was always going after cigarette butts, which I then put into my mouth. Ah, those childhood memories, Right. But again, our highlights are nothing like the highlights from Jesus's childhood. And what Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mind you, what he highlights in chapter 2, verses 21 to 52, can be organized under three headings. Number one, keeping of God's law. We're going to see that mainly in verses 21 to 24. Secondly, speaking of God's Messiah which we see in verses 25 to 30, and thirdly, maturing in God's ways, which we see in verses 40 to 52. Now, Interestingly, all three of these childhood highlights happen in the exact same place, the temple in Jerusalem. So we start then with verse 21. At the end of eight days, this special baby is circumcised, just as God commanded in the law recorded in Leviticus 12. And on the occasion of his circumcision, he was called Jesus, which is the name the angel had told Mary before he was even conceived in her womb. As you know, Jesus is the Greek equivalent of Yeshua or Joshua, uh, which is the Hebrew name for the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Joseph and Mary then they kept God's law of circumcision for Israelite boys and they obediently used the name that God had given them through the angel. Then, about five weeks later, when the time for presentation and purification came, As stated in Exodus 13, Leviticus 12, Numbers 18, you can read about it there, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Why? Because it is written in God's law that every firstborn male should be called holy to the Lord. Thus, the law of the Lord requires a sacrifice, actually two sacrifices to be offered. Now, wealthier people could offer a lamb and a bird for their two sacrifices. But the law in Leviticus 12 also allowed a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons to be offered by people of more modest means, which apparently Joseph and Mary were. And then if you jump ahead to verse 27, you see how his parents brought Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And again, in verse 39, it stresses how it was only after they had performed everything according to the law that this uh, little family, then the family of three, returns back to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Jesus's circumcision and the subsequent purification They don't make it into our Christmas carols, do they? I can't think of a single Christmas carol that highlights uh, these events in his life. But God's law is mentioned five different times in this passage. You see, under the direction of his parents, the keeping of God's law was a key highlight of Jesus's childhood. After receiving eyewitness testimony and following all these things closely to write an orderly account, Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit, highlights Jesus as keeping the whole law for us. As Hebrews 2.17 says, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Think about it. Out of all the possible highlights from Jesus' childhood, this first section really stresses the keeping of God's law. Then, in the second section, in verses 25 to 38, it stresses speaking of God's Messiah. And this speaking comes from the lips of two otherwise unknown people. They make their only cameo appearance in Scripture in this passage, right? Simeon and Anna. And apart from these 14 verses, We know nothing more about this man or this woman. But Luke tells us six crucial facts about each of them. First, Simeon in verses 25 to 27. Number one, he was righteous. Simeon sought to live in God's way. Number two, he was devout. Simeon was careful about his religious duties. Number three, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon expected the coming of the Messiah to to rescue and comfort his people, to console them. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon experienced a special presence of the Spirit. And so we can trust, right, his Spirit-inspired words. And fifthly, the Holy Spirit revealed to him in some way that isn't detailed for us exactly here, that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died. Imagine how he hung on to that revelation. And sixthly, the Spirit led him into the temple complex, probably not the sanctuary, but the temple, broader temple area, just when Joseph and Mary brought little six-week-old Jesus, right? God's timing was perfect in fulfilling his promise to Simeon. Now, exactly how or why even Mary and Joseph were willing to let this stranger, apparently, take their 40-day-old baby into his arms, we don't know. But as Simeon held baby Jesus, he blessed God, right? After this encounter with little Jesus, Simeon said he could depart or he could die in peace because just as God had said to him, Simeon had now seen God's salvation. Jesus was God's salvation that he had prepared in the presence of all the peoples, all the peoples, plural. Just as Isaiah 49, 6 had prophesied seven centuries earlier, God's servant or his Messiah was both a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to God's people, Israel. The light of Christ would shine to reveal God to the Gentiles, and which in no way would diminish the glory of God's people, Israel, to whom God had already been revealed, right? So God's salvation included Israelites, but it also went well beyond them to all the peoples. This encounter with Simeon in some ways reminds me of the encounter with the the shepherds who were apparently also strangers to Joseph and Mary. As with the shepherds, Joseph and Mary marveled at what Simeon said about their baby Jesus, right? And beyond blessing these new parents, Simeon also had a spirit-inspired word specifically for Mary. This little infant, he said, was appointed for the fall And the rising of many in Israel, a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts of many hearts would be uncovered or revealed. It's a little bit like what Mary had said earlier in chapter 1, verses 52 and 53, isn't it? He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty there's no neutrality. No neutrality. Jesus would grow up to effectively split the nation of Israel in two, with some accepting him and many rejecting him. As one commentator said, Jesus divides. Jesus at times angers. Jesus exposes. And as to Mary herself, Simeon also warns that a large sword would pierce through her own soul as well. We can imagine how that happened in some ways over the years as as people misunderstood and rejected Jesus, but especially right at the end of his life when Mary stood at the foot of the cross and she watched the horrors of her own son suffering death by crucifixion. A cutting sword would pierce through the soul of this new mom in the future. Spirit-led Simeon then did much speaking of God's Messiah, and so did Anna. Just as with Simeon, we learned six facts about her. Number one, she was a prophetess. She spoke the word of God. Secondly, she was of the tribe of Asher. Her dad was named Phanuel. Thirdly, she was advanced in years. And think about this, in the ancient world, Age was revered, and it was honored, right, so that Anna's testimony was really seen as extra credible given her age. Fourth, she had been a virgin who was married for seven years and then had remained widowed, apparently up to her current age of 84. Fifthly, she never left the temple. She was there all the time. And sixth, and finally, she worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, at this point, I don't know how it was with you, but I was kind of expecting Anna to take baby Jesus into her arms like Simeon did. But instead, we're simply told that Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of God's Messiah to all who were there waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And the prophetess Anna right. She speaks to all those. It wasn't just Simeon who was awaiting the consolation of Israel, all those in the temple. She speaks to them of God's Messiah. Think about it. Rather than withdrawing in the potential sorrow or loneliness as a widow, Anna worshiped God all the time. And when she saw little Jesus, she spoke of him to all who were waiting in the Jerusalem temple for redemption. She and Simeon seem to know a lot about little Jesus, don't they? A godly male and a godly female both eagerly await redemption in Christ. Now, as first-time readers, I think we'd be wondering, whatever happened to this little baby, right? What was his life story after all? How did it play out? Well, verses 40 to 52 tell us, It was a story that included 12 years of maturing in God's ways. Maturing in God's ways. Jesus developed physically, mentally, and intellectually, as well as spiritually. Verse 40 says the child grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Then, notice, we don't have to wait very long to see God's special wisdom on display in Jesus because Luke kind of fast forwards us to the last recorded highlight from Jesus's childhood. The last glimpse we have into Jesus between his birth and his public ministry. It's a well-known incident that occurred when he was 12 years old. Now, Joseph and Mary were pious Jews, right? They obediently went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. And we don't know anything about the years when Jesus was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and we didn't know anything about the years when he was a teenager or in his 20s, but when Jesus was 12 and the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread had ended, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem as the rest of the family returned. His parents thought, mistakenly, that Jesus was part of that caravan heading back to Nazareth, But when they searched for him uh, among the relatives and acquaintances, maybe at the end of that first day of travel, they did not find him. And we can imagine their parental concern right, as, as they returned perhaps 20 miles back to Jerusalem to search for their lost or missing son. Took three days all together. Now this is probably one day as they traveled away, one day as they traveled back, and and a day of searching for Jesus until they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. A 12-year-old boy, think about that, not even yet a man in Jewish thought, he was dialoguing with Jerusalem temple theologians. And all the adults who heard this kid were amazed, weren't they, at his understanding and his answers. He really stood out. This was no ordinary student. Jesus was actually a conversation partner with temple teachers. And when his parents arrived on the scene and they saw what Jesus was up to, they were astonished too. And then Mary spoke up with a question. Son... Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. As the message paraphrases it, your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Some had suggested that maybe even that, that sword had begun to pierce Mary's soul at this time. But then Jesus, remember, not yet a teenager, he responded with two questions of his own, his earliest recorded words. These are the first words recorded from Jesus' lips. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The sense seems to be, "Uh, didn't you know I'd be here in the temple? After all, it's my father's house. Jesus had been making the most of his opportunity in this special place. Now, we don't know exactly how or or, or when it dawned on him, but it seems that by age 12 here, Jesus was clearly aware that he was the Son of God, right? Just as the angel Gabriel had said back in chapter 1, verse 32, and chapter 1, verse 35. Now, while Jesus seemed to understand or grasp his identity as God's son, his parents did not get what he said to them, right? And remember, it, it had been a dozen years, it had been 12 years since uh, uh, Gabriel and, and, and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna had clearly testified that Jesus was the Son of God, a Savior, Christ, the Lord, God's salvation, Again, while his parents didn't seem to fully get it at this time, Jesus did. Long before he began his public ministry, Jesus was aware of his unique relationship to God as a son to a father. And we are told that although Jesus' primary allegiance was to his heavenly Father, right, I must be in my Father's house, he was also submissive to his earthly father and mother. And once more, boy, Mary had plenty of things to treasure up in her heart. She might not have fully understood, but she remembered and mulled these things over. And finally, in summarizing the years ahead, Luke tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. course, a gospel is not an exhaustive biography. It's a selective proclamation of truth. We know nothing more about Jesus's teen years, or his 20s for that matter, except that he matured in God's ways by increasing, growing in wisdom, again, probably his mental or intellectual development, in stature. physical or bodily development, in favor with God, which seems to indicate spiritual development, and in favor with man, which probably points to social development. As the years went on, Jesus was constantly maturing in God's ways. And with that ending of chapter 2, we kind of ask ourselves, how might this apply to us? Well, think about it. The first section is focused on the keeping of God's law. And there is a lesson for us here. I mean, Paul is clear in Galatians 2.16 that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. At the same time, Paul is equally clear in 1 Corinthians 9.21, that he was not outside the law of God, but he was under what he calls the law of Christ. So while Christ has fulfilled God's law for us, praise be to God, and the Christians are free from the law as a way of salvation, God's moral law still tells God's children what will please our Heavenly Father. When we think about the Ten Commandments or, or the two great commands to, to love God and to love our neighbor, there is a calling for us also to keep God's law. Secondly, the second section is focused on speaking of God's Messiah. Simeon and Anna certainly had a unique role in speaking of the Christ, right, to all who were waiting for redemption. But we also, don't we, have a calling to speak of God's Messiah. And as Simeon said, we can expect a mixed response. Because, in the words of 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, we are the aroma of Christ to uh, to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life to life. It is our privilege and our responsibility to speak of God's Messiah. The third section we saw is focused on maturing in God's ways. Now, of course, Jesus was unique, right, in the way that he matured. But as his followers, we are also called to mature, aren't we? In wisdom, to to be faithful and wise servants of God. Secondly, in stature, to, to care for the bodies that God has given us. To mature in favor with God, to to make it our aim in everything, to please God, and in favor with man. That's what the church in Jerusalem did in Acts 2.47. They praised God and they had favor with all the people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the way in which your son Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We thank you for the ways in which Simeon and Anna spoke of the Messiah to others, even as you give us also the privilege and responsibility to speak of the Messiah to others. And we praise you for the ways in which Jesus matured in your ways
1: And Father, how
0: you call us also to mature in your ways. May we do so, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for your glory, through Jesus. Amen.